Hallelujah. Yeah, come on, Crossroads family. Hallelujah. He's my cornerstone. Hallelujah. Lord, you are my cornerstone. Lord, my rock, my shield, my rampart. You're my high tower. You're my strength. You're my provider. You are my healer, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, God is good. And all the time, amen, amen. You may be seated in the house of the Lord. Amen. Well, we're going to get some things staged this morning and get ready. And, man, we do have a special guest speaker in the house. And, and uh, man, I just want to encourage everyone um, just to, uh, during this time, just to, uh, as Holly said, uh, always be sure to write down your prayer requests. And uh, as staff, we always look forward to those times of, of um, coming together and praying over those needs in our staff meetings in those times. And, and um, we, we always want to encourage you to do that. Uh, be sure to visit our website, by the way, to stay current with all the information that is happening around Crossroads Church and all the good things that God is doing around here. First Lady, will you hand me that stuff right there? Thank you very much. Get your envelope. The envelope says. And at uh, any rate, we do have a very special guest with us here today, and uh, you're going to be hearing from him. And uh, we're gonna make, I'm going to make my way up here right now. And uh, I want you to help me give a big Belton welcome to uh, Brian Fleming as he comes today. Amen. Brian Fleming is here in the house, folks. I'm excited. Thank, Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. We had a great time at dinner last night. And um, we got to hear a lot of the story firsthand that you're going to hear today. And I'm excited, especially for the men and women who are active duty or maybe have served in Iraq or Afghanistan. By the way, do we have any here who are active duty or served? Jack, can you stand up? Can we give them a hand? We appreciate you guys, and thank you for being here. I don't know if you realize this, Pastor, but, you know, back before I was even a thought in my parents' eyes, you know, there was a time in this country when people like us were spit on, and that has never happened since I've been here. And that's because of all of you who are in this audience today. You've made a choice not to do that, and we appreciate you, and we thank you for that because it makes a complete difference in our lives when we come back. So thank you. Amen. Absolutely. We, we love our military, and I was sharing uh, that with uh, Brian last night as far as our church and our people and what kind of reception he would receive at both of our campuses. And, and uh, we absolutely do love all of our, men, our military men and women, and hopefully uh, we, we show that in our culture and our DNA of our church. So tell us real quick a little bit about, you know, your family, and, and uh, we can open up with that, and then we can jump into the meats and potatoes of the story. I enjoy pina coladas and getting caught in the rain. Those are alcoholic, though. No, I, I'm sorry. I, uh, I grew up in Jackson, Michigan, uh, about an hour west of Detroit, Michigan, and uh, I am in Texas now. I live up in Dallas, and so uh, I'm not from here, but I got us here as fast as I could. And I also married a Texan. Yep. Y'all make them good down here when it comes to your women. I got me a good one, a very faithful one. And, uh, you know, it's interesting being from Michigan. When her grandfather from Fort Worth found out we were engaged, uh, that was the first time I was ever called a Yankee. And my response was, yeah, I really didn't know what to, what to say. And I couldn't figure out for the life of me what me marrying Jamie had to do with the New York Yankees. I thought he was talking about the baseball team. I had no idea because up north we don't call, call ourselves that. Of course, you know, I have a lot of friends from the south now too, and I got on the topic of the Civil War one day, and boy, is that a wrong topic. He said, man, he said that was not the Civil War. He said that was the War of Northern Aggression. So they teach history different depending on where you're from, apparently. But it's, I'm, it's great to be here, and I live in Texas now. It's a wonderful place to live, and I'm very privileged to even be breathing, and so I'm very grateful. And you have a couple of kids? I do. I have a five-year-old boy named Blake and a three-year-old daughter who just turned three last Saturday, and so it is never a boring day at my house. 
In fact, we might have a picture if you have it. Yeah, my wife and kids. Yeah, there's me and my kids. <laughs> and then there's a picture of my wife and I. This is they had this past Christmas, and so, like I said, y'all making good. So I got me a, a beautiful one who's also faithful. So I, I got the best of both worlds. And uh, you know, she grew up in, in a very conservative, um, up in Fort Worth, very conservative Christian family, and she has a very rock solid foundation of faith in her. And I think that's one of the greatest things. It is the absolute greatest thing about her because through all the war, we were only married three months before I deployed to Afghanistan. And through all that, we're now going on nine years of marriage this next December. And God's been good. So it's a testament that when you build your marriage on the rock, it's going to stand. No, yes, I too have married above my head as well. So We both married yeah, up. <laughs> yes, we did. We, we married up. Well, man, um, you know, I know a lot of people here today really to hear – you know, what we've been advertising and talking about and certainly what you and I engaged in last night and, you know, certainly your testimony. And I, I want you to lead us down that path as far as, uh, you know, the, the suicide bomber, all of those things that you experienced. Um, of course, the incident before that. Um, and then, you know, certainly share about your book, all of those things. But, um yeah, man, walk us through like, you know, through that deployment. And uh, I think it's worth touching on, too. Um, you know, we, we talked a little bit of, uh, just about PTSD. Sometimes the uh, the mentality of what we hear on the media and our assumptions sometimes about all soldiers, and while that is not this church, sometimes some people um, make general assumptions, uh, especially in light of what recently happened at Fort Hood. And um, so I think it's worth speaking to. Yeah, well, people don't know what they don't know. And uh, if, if honestly, if the media is your only source of information, you're wrong. <laughs> You're, you're, you're getting what they want you to get, you know. So, so um, but I, I do want to start by saying this. Um, I'm gonna, I'll talk on those points, but I want to, I want to let you know today, your history is not your destiny. And I'll say that one more time: your history is not your destiny. And what I mean by that is that what you've dealt with in the past is no indicator of what God has for you in the future. And I say that not to sound super spiritual. I say that because I shouldn't be alive. And even though I am here, I should have a lot of problems. And I don't say this, please don't take this wrong. I should deal with a lot of stuff that I don't deal with, naturally speaking. But God is supernatural. He's beyond the natural. And with him, all things are possible. And my, with my past and what we're going to talk about, I don't want you to just get my story. I want you to get how this parallels over transparently into your life. Because with, with everything, like I said, that, that I've been through, it doesn't usually work out this way. And it's not because I'm some sort of ultra-resilient guy who was born with some incredible ability to overcome adversity. That's the furthest thing from the truth. It's because my foundation of faith stayed strong, and I chose to make it stay strong through the hard times. You know, we, we go through hard times, and it shakes our faith. It's okay to have your faith shaken. It's okay to think about quitting. Just don't do it. That's right. Absolutely. Amen. <laughs> I guarantee you, I promise you, everybody in this room has thought about quitting at some time or another. Don't quit on God because he's not going to quit on you. And, uh, you know, I, I, well, I deployed uh, to Afghanistan in 2006, three months after um, Jamie and I got married. And I was, I was with the U.S. Army's 10th Mountain Division. My job was infantry. I was in a, a scout sniper platoon. I was a team leader. I uh, lasted five months of, of my first deployment. I only deployed once because that's all I lasted. And, um, and while I was there, about a month after we arrived, uh, our vehicle ran over a double stack of anti-tank mines that were buried in the road. It blew up the vehicle. It set it on fire. Uh, nobody died. Two guys were injured. I had to drag one of the guys out of the back door. Uh, he was partially conscious. The explosive had gone off underneath his seat. And so that was a very, um, very crazy experience. Uh, what's even more crazy, though, is uh, what happened two days after we got back from this mission. We had been on the mission for about four or five days. And the day we returned back to our base, I had an email from my mother that she had written to me that day that we returned. And basically what it says, I'll give you the short version. <laughs> Brian, I don't know how to tell you this, but a couple of days ago I had this really strange, intense feeling to pray for your protection. Now I thought that was kind of cool because we'd just gotten blown up two days ago. I mean, I, I asked her. I didn't tell her what happened, but I asked her. I said, when was this? What, what, what time did this happen? 
And she said, well, she told me the time it happened to be within hours of that happening that she had to pull off, she actually had to pull off the side of the interstate. And for about 15 minutes, this is the, what came over her. And so when I tell you God tells women everything, you better believe it. In fact, we got a couple of pictures here. If you can bring up that first vehicle, you'll see this vehicle. That's the first one. And that's not even the worst. I mean, they get a lot worse than that. I think I have another picture right after that, after it was done burning. That, that's my door hanging open right there, the, the back seat. And uh, nobody died in that thing. Can you believe that? Is that a miracle or what? Nobody, nobody died. You know, and I told you God tells women everything. And I was sort of joking, but I'm sort of not joking because, uh, you know, I was blown up a second time. And the second time, I didn't walk away. I, I mean, I was able to walk, but I was severely wounded. And uh, it, almost, it nearly killed me. And what happened with the second one, a suicide bomber pulled his minivan right up next to my door. I was the truck commander in the lead vehicle of about a 15-vehicle convoy going through Kandahar. And we were two miles from Kandahar Airfield from the main gate, which was our destination. And a white minivan pulled out in front of us. And so my driver went to pass him on the left. And as we went to pass him on the left, I'm in the passenger seat from about me to you uh, with obviously bulletproof glass and armor plating. Uh, we got right up next to the vehicles we're passing him, and uh, he lit the entire minivan up, and he blew himself into about 10,000 pieces, him and his vehicle. And uh, I woke up in a ditch on the side of the road. I was burned and bloody. I had blood pouring out of my face. I, I didn't remember. I didn't know what happened. My first thought, I, it's kind of funny now looking back, but it, then it wasn't, obviously. But my first thought was, why would I go to sleep here? Because I, I, re- I didn't remember laying down there, and I, I didn't know how I had gotten there. And um, so I stumbled to my feet. And what's, what's interesting, and remember I said God tells women everything. This was on July 24th of 2006. And on July 4th, a few weeks prior to this, my wife is in Fort Worth, Texas with her family for the 4th of July weekend. And she, she starts praying. She told me later, she said um, she was praying that I would be home in the end of July specifically. And the reason she was praying for that is because there were rumors going around that we were either coming home or getting extended for 90 days in the end of July. And I was blown up on July 24th, and I I, I arrived in San Antonio, Texas, at Brook Army Medical Center, three days later on July 27th, in the end of July. So I always tell people, God answers prayer. I just ask my wife to be a little bit more specific (laughs) next time she's thinking of me. But... That's exactly, like, I can't make this stuff up. That is exactly how it happened. And unfortunately, my unit, the day or two after that week, after I got blown up, they immediately got extended 90 days. And, you know, I mean, that's just how it happened. All of them came home. No, no we didn't lose any guys, thankfully. Um, you know, we have a here you didn't lose. No, we didn't, in this one. Now, if you bring up the next vehicle, um, the next vehicle doesn't look half as bad, but this is the one that almost killed me. That's my door hanging open, and... Uh, you know, I'm happy to report the suicide bomber was the only person to die that day. So my hat's off to a mission accomplished, something. Uh, in fact, you have that picture of me behind my car. It's toward the end of the slide if you want to bring it up. I've got something I think you'll enjoy. I'm at the, the back side of my vehicle, if you, can, uh, if you have that picture handy. Yeah, I've got my purple heart plate. It says, nice try. And, uh, you know, it. Every, everybody has their way of coping with stuff, and um, I've always been a sarcastic person. You probably can't tell. <laughs> that was sarcastic, wasn't it? <laughs> but, you know, that was, one, that was one of the ways I dealt with stuff is that if I, can, if I can look back and at least laugh at the sheer stupidity of somebody, because this guy had no idea what he was doing, clearly. Not only did he not accomplish his mission, everything he stood for is now being completely counteracted 180 degrees in the opposite direction. Because he had no intention of me surviving and God having a plan. And now I get to speak all over the world telling people about how good God is and what he brought me through and what he's going to bring you through. That radical Islamic terrorist did not want me telling people about Jesus and what God has done in my life and how my faith carried me. But, uh, you know, when your enemy enemy has a plan, but so does God. That's right. That's good. Amen. Amen. So um, one one of the people that you hooked up with, is uh, Dave Reaver, who we've had speak here several times before, and um, I think it's uh, I think it was an interesting part of your 
your your story story where you are now, like getting getting involved in this and sharing your faith and how he kind of impromptu you up onto the uh, stage while you were still in recovery. Um, and he didn't even tell me. Right. He said, Brian, I'd like you to come to some patriotic rally I'm doing. I'll pay for it. It's free. I said, free is good, and it gets me away from Brook Army Medical Center. And so I went. And the story is, well, I, I met Dave while I was at the hospital about a month or two prior to that. And I'm at this rally, and I'm in the front row, and he's up on stage. I was sitting next to him, and about halfway through the talk, he says, come on up here, Brian. You know, and I get up there, and I'm like, wow, I didn't know he was going to have me get up and talk. And this is only five or six months after my injury. I'm still wrapped up in burn uh, compression garments. Um, if you put the burn pictures up, you can see those. Um, but I'm at this I'm at this rally outside of uh, we're up in Kansas. I think it's Fort Riley. That's me right after the suicide bomber hit me, and it could have been much worse. But that that was a full face and neck second degree burn, and my hands were uh, you know, that was on my military ID for about nine months after I got hit because they didn't get my ID back. So they took that picture in Germany, and that was my ID card. So going through the gates of Fort Hood and Fort Sam and all kinds of other places, gate guards had a little treat every time I came through. But, no, with, with Dave, he brought me up there, and he said, take two minutes. He said, tell him about yourself. Here, tell him what happened. I didn't want to talk to talk about that stuff to a doctor, let alone, oh, by the way, there were 3,000 people in the audience. So it's like, oh, Brian, did you get butterflies? No, there wasn't time. You know, I just kind of, you know, hey, I'm still here for a reason, maybe. Go for it. I don't know. What do you say? You know, I'm not trying to be a motivational speaker or anything like that. And, um the, the, the greatest thing in the world happened right after that. I, and this is one of the keys, I think. Shortly after my injury and what I went through, I learned why it happened. And it was only six or seven months afterwards, and I was still in recovery. I was still in a lot of pain. But after I got up there and I, I spoke for two or three minutes, I, all I did was say what happened to me. And I guess maybe God has a reason. This young lady comes up to me, and, and she starts telling me how she was raped and abused and all this stuff. Stuff in detail that really you wouldn't tell to a stranger. Her, I don't even know if her, her friends knew. But she tagged this on the end. And this is, this is what I call the one-degree shift that changed everything. I mean, in life, it doesn't have to be a drastic change of circumstances to have your circumstances change. And she said, you know, Brian, she said, but if God can bring you through that, she said, I think maybe he can bring me through this. Amen. If you can survive that, maybe I can make it through this. And that was the first time. That did for me what all the medications I had thrown at me, all the pills, it never did. It's because none of those pills ever gave me purpose. You know, they give you side effects, which make you feel like a zombie and all kinds of stuff I'm not going to go into because it's not very pleasant. But, um, you know, to this day, I don't take any medication. I take none. And I'll take Excedrin occasionally for headaches. That's it. And so, uh, you know, but that, that's the, the point here is this, too. I, I don't want you to miss this. One person that God sends into your life, one circumstance, can completely turn around your situation. Amen. Because I want you to understand this. If you ever, how many of you have been to Brook Army Medical Center? Okay, how many of you tried to park your car? Yeah, how many of you didn't get a spot? All right, so I'm this guy with post-traumatic stress, and I'm having to go daily to the medical center. And I get stressed out, and I get headaches and all this stuff just thinking about the fact that I'm not going to be able to find a parking spot. Because they're going to tow your car if you park in a no-parking zone, but you're going to get an Article 15 if you miss too many doctor appointments. So, I mean, it's a catch-22. It's like, you're just, I mean, there's a funnel, and there's no hole in the bottom. <laughs> and you're expected to go through it. And, and so I'm there. I didn't have to go that day because the day I met Dave, that he came to speak at the medical center, I didn't have any appointments. And I thought, Man, I really don't want to go, but I'd like to at least hear this guy talk. It would have been easier for me. It would have been the easy option to just stay home that day. But because I went and we happened to meet, I'm here now. I do what I do now. I'm the person I am now. I'm in the condition I am now because God brought one person into my life, one person that he was using. And, you know, I often wonder, I don't even like to think, but sometimes I wonder, and I wonder for about two seconds, and then I stop wondering, because sometimes I think too much. But I, I've often thought, where would I be, who would I be, what would I be doing if that one day I would have taken the easy way out? 
what would have happened? I have no idea, and I don't even think about it. I don't want to think about who I would be or what condition I would be in. But I wouldn't be sitting here. I wouldn't have the opportunity to speak to all of you, which is an incredible privilege, or, eat, or be here or do, or do anything. And, you know, one of the great verses here, you know, that uh, I want to share with you is Second Corinthians 5.17. And you've all probably heard this. But it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, anyone, he is a new creation. That life where I was injured in the military and, and the tragedy and the pain and all that, I was a Christian, but that's an old part of my life. It's only now a part of my life if I'm using it as an asset for good. God took what was one of my greatest tragedies and he used it as an asset for good. In fact, in Ephesians 4.22, it says to throw off your old, sinful na- your old sinful nature and your former way of life. Amen. And that's obviously talking about your life before making a decision for God. But I'll tell you right now, like I said, there are issues that I don't deal with that I probably should deal with. And I can't explain that to you apart from the fact that God has had an active role in my life. I, I'm not better than anybody. I didn't have an advantage over any other soldiers who went through the same or worse than me. And I know a lot of them. I, one thing I had on my side is that through all of that, I was always willing to see, is God going to do something through this? Can he? And I trusted that. That's all I had. And that's all God really requires of us sometimes. You know, one of the things, uh, not just with, with our active duty or, or those who have served, but here in our church, we're, uh, one of the things that we mentioned last night is like we're part of our year this, part of our culture uh, for our vision this year is to become healthy. And this quarter that we're in is emotional health. And so I want you to speak to, um, first of all, continue. I think you've, what you touched on in that our, our, you know, our, our past doesn't have to be our destiny. And not only that, but the whole idea of the, the PTSD and how that translates not just to soldiers, but to, to people, like yeah. the trauma and, and how God, you know, did get you through that. And, um, you know, just some of those things that we talked about last night to that piece of that. Well, you know, the truth will set you free. And I had to overcome a lot of stuff that I was told was true. But I later learned and made my own opinions about that I determined not to be true. And I'll give you one example. I was told by all the doctors, you have post-traumatic stress disorder, and you will always have it. You will never get over this. These are the people, the professionals that are supposed to be helping me. So (laughs) if you're trying to help somebody, don't ever tell them you're never getting past this. You know, you're going to deal with this forever. You know, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And they weren't, they weren't talking about that. That doesn't mean you're not going to go through hard times. But when you do, like, you have something carrying you through that time. You have, you have like, a rope you're hanging on to. And, you know, one of the big things with PTSD, and we talk about this in my book, Redeployed, which I'll mention a little bit later. Um, we have an entire chapter on this. And I understand why post-traumatic stress is often referred to as a disorder. It's classified as a disorder. I have... Several friends who are doctors, mental health specialists, I know why it's classified as a disorder. I understand every reason. So if you're a mental health professional and you're about to hate me for what I'm about to say, I preface it with that for that reason. But to me, post-traumatic stress is not a disorder. Because when you look at post-traumatic stress, whether you've been in the military, you don't have to be in the military to have it. I know people with worse post-traumatic stress than me or some of my friends who have been in the military, and I know what they've been through. And there are other people who had their own life experiences, and they're the furthest thing from ever being in the military or in a war zone. But post-traumatic stress is, to put it simply, it's a perfectly normal response to a set of abnormal circumstances. It's a perfectly normal response to a set of abnormal circumstances. And so what that means is if you have, if you suffer with post-traumatic stress or you deal with it to any extent, you're not disordered, you're not a misfit, you're not weird, you're normal. Like I said, the doctors, they were, they were telling me all this stuff about how, hey, you're never going to this and all that. And you're going to, and all, all the while, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not like this weird person, this crazy person. I'm just normal. And that's a, that perspective, that mindset determines everything. I mean, if you think you're weird, if, if you have, how many of you have kids? Okay, a ton of us. If every day when your kids come home from school, from school you tell them they're stupid, in 20 years, do you think they're going to think they're stupid or are they going to think they're smart? Yeah, they're going to think they're stupid. 
Now, I'm not saying not to tell the truth. If there's an issue, address the truth. Be real with it. But at the same time, have a little faith and know the truth. And don't, and don't be speaking these words of death over yourself. You know, the Bible says there's life and death in the power of the tongue. In fact, in my book, Never the Same, which we also have here, I have an entire chapter on that, how there was one time we got blown up, and I had said something about it before that, and I stopped talking. I was getting discouraged. There was another time that I said, boy, we're, in, we're down in this draw, and we have high ground all around us. I looked at my buddy, and I said, man, we better get out of here. If we stay here much longer, we're going to get shot at. And it wasn't 10 minutes later that we had some AK-47s firing at us from the, from the ridgeline. And so there is life and death in the power of the tongue, and what you think and what you say about yourself. And the biggest battle is not against the Taliban. It's not against Al-Qaeda. The biggest battle is right here, and against it's against your enemy who wants to destroy you. There is a physical battle that takes place in this world, but there is a spiritual battle that is a far bigger picture, and it determines everything we do. In fact, I wasn't going to share this, but I think I will. I always know when the service is going to be great when I speak. Number one, I believe it's going to be, because I believe the best. But number two... I wait for stuff to happen along the way. My buddy Cole right here, who's going to be at the back table, he's sitting here in the front on the end. This is uh, one of his first times on the road far away. He helps me off. And, and um, yesterday, we're leaving Dallas. All right, I, we live in Dallas, so we're not even out of Dallas yet. And I'm changing lanes. And if you've ever been in downtown Dallas, there's like eight lanes across. Yeah. Two of them go to Waco on 35 and head here. And so you're like switching lanes four times just to try and get the right one before it cuts you off. And we accident I accidentally cut a guy off. And he was coming to that lane, and I was coming to that lane. My truck's a one-ton, his wasn't. And so it's kind of like, well, you know, yeah, yeah, we're in Texas. Everything's bigger. And so he pulls up next to me, and he's, like, yelling and yelling. He's got, like, this afro. He's wearing, like, this torn-up, you know, tank top. And he's got one gold tooth in the front. I said, that guy does have some guts. I, I could not do one gold tooth in the front. And, and he, you know, and he's driving away, and he's doing this out the window like he's got a gun. And, and I thought, man, the Taliban never threatened me like that. They always just pulled the trigger. They didn't say they were going to. That's how they didn't even have one. But I looked at Cole, and you can attest to this. I said, you know it's going to be a good service because the enemy is going to come against you the entire way, and he doesn't want you to be there. You know, I could have overreacted. And, uh, you know, I have no doubt I could have taken the guy. But, you know, I don't think cho- <laughs> I don't think choking a guy on the side of the highway is the best way to tell him Jesus loves him and to make it here to have church and tell you about the love of God. And so like, and I say that just funny, but it's like I had a choice right there. Naturally, I wanted to grab my pistol out of the console and say, oh, I've got one too. You know, it's a 45 and it's got some knockdown power. But, you know, I, I, I'm like, my mind was here. I know this is what God has for me here. And I know that God has given me things and uh something to do with my life and that gives me something to lose people who commit suicide i know that's an epidemic in the military they feel like there's nothing left to do they got nothing to lose they feel like the you know the issues are never going to end you've probably all heard the statistics of 22 veterans a day committing suicide all these issues and uh you know we have an entire chapter in redeployed it's the last chapter it's actually the longest chapter and it's on suicide and i, I in fact i'll tell you this story i have one, a friend in pensacola florida he actually was in, he was inside of 15 different vehicles that were blown up in Iraq. 15, one five. I was only in two. And he was not injured in the first 14, but he came back. He was injured in the 15th one, and unfortunately, everyone else in the vehicle died except him. And so as you can imagine, he came home with a tremendous amount of survivor's guilt. And he put a pistol in his mouth, and he pulled the trigger. But when he did, the weapon misfired. It clicked on him. The round didn't go off. And lo and behold, two weeks later, we're out in central Colorado at one of the sessions I teach for the military and that kind of training. And John comes into our session two weeks after doing that. And we talked, and he said, man, I think maybe after that God has a plan for my life. You know, he, he goes around, he speaks in churches just like this. And he tells people about how good God is. And so I don't know what, what it is in your life, maybe that you've been through, but one thing I've learned is that we all go through different circumstances, but we all deal with many of the same issues as a result of the varying and different circumstances. You know, a lot of people say, well, Brian, I was never blown up. And, you know, they try and compare it to what happened to me. And that, that's, that's all wrong. You can't compare, compare apples and oranges. It's like, how do I talk to a woman who was sexually abused growing up? 
You know, how, how do I relate to that? I don't know. Or who's going to say mine was worse than hers? I mean, I'd rather be scarred on the outside, and then I'm privileged to only have minimal scarring. But I can be scarred on the outside. That's kind of like the outside of a car. You can damage the outside, but the engine's still going to be good and strong. But your mind is like that steering wheel in the engine. It doesn't matter what it looks like on the outside. If that wheel's turned 90 degrees and you're doing 80 or 90 miles an hour, you're going off a cliff. And so you got to think about, I mean, you know, the, it, in, it, they, they're intertwined so much. And you were talking on that with wellness. How you feel physically determines so much. People don't even realize how you feel mentally yeah. and what you're able to do. And that you're, I mean, just everything, your, your mood, your confidence, what you actually end up being able, able to accomplish and do. And it's all tied together. And God made it that way. You know, one of the things that I think Brian brings to the table today, at least from my heart and our conversation last night, was, one, I've never served in the military. Um, um, my grandpa did. He a World War II veteran, and, and we have many, many uh, veterans in here. But um, when to one of the things that I took away from our, our dinner time last night was perspective. Like when I got in the truck and I got on the road, I had several missed calls, and I, I tended to those, and and then I just began to reflect and think about this morning. Was just praying about, you know, God, you know, you know exactly who's going to be here. Um, probably going to have some regulars, but hopefully we'll have some first-time guests who need to hear this unique message. And for me, Crossroads Church as a pastor, what I took away when I'm what I'm hearing is and what I'm seeing is this idea of perspective, and that we can we have two options. We can, well, as Jennifer said, either we can trust God or we don't. And either we believe he is who he says he is, and he'll do the things that he says he'll do, like heal us, like the stuff that we're dealing with, deliver us, and put it in our rearview mirror that we never have to see it again. And so as we have someone sitting here right in front of us, it's a good, it's a good way for us to look at perspective in our life and say, right, we don't compare what, we each, what we're each going through as if mine is worse than yours or yours is worse than mine. How how do you even assess that? You know how I put that when I speak to the troops? Because I speak on military bases all over. You know, and everyone's everyone's trying to one-up each other. Everyone in the military knows everyone's got a story. And if you just told yours, the next guy's got a better one. All right, it's just, wait, a big fish story kind of thing. And I always tell people this, and you excuse me for saying this way, but I think you'll enjoy it. Comparing stories like that is like comparing STDs. Who cares? What difference does it make? Like, is that really making your life better? Like, what's the point? You know, I mean, is it doing anything? It's like, really? And so you don't have to try and one-up people. Or, I mean, the reason you should be sharing your life with people is because you, you think or you know and believe that you have something of value to offer to them. You know, a lot, there are a lot of givers and a lot of takers. And a lot of times you meet a whole lot more takers than you do givers. You know, but the people who are takers are almost, you'll find them to be minimal receivers. If, if you're only a taker, you will receive minimal. If you're a giver, it's that reaping and sowing. And you can say how you want. You get what you give. You reap what you sow. What comes around goes around. It's all the same. And we can't scientifically prove it, but it happens. So we should hashtag what he just said. Uh, <laughs> that was pretty good. Man, speak, I've never been told that before. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, you. Speak a little bit about the book, The Project. Um, and how they can participate because uh, and you know, please uh, connect the dots to what's happening in New York so we know about the dollars and because uh, that's so important. Yeah. No, um, last year I've written a couple books. Like I said, they're on the table out there. And Cole, he'll be out there to help you with it. Um, never the same. I wrote this book while I was in Afghanistan, and it's more or less my story of being there in Afghanistan and getting injured. But Redeployed came out last year. This is called Redeployed. And it's how combat veterans can fight the battle within and win the war at home. We're not talking about battle tactics for the battlefield in Afghanistan. We're talking about up here because the military trains us to fight war and to win. And we do very well when we go over. I mean, you want to go fight at night, we're going to win. We're going to fight during the day, we're probably going to win too. I mean, I have more, more than one friend that can tell you I've never been in a battle like this. But I have one friend, him and, him and he, it was about him and 30 guys. They, get, they got uh, surprised by about 300 Taliban, and uh, they were in about a, a nine-hour firefight somewhere in Afghanistan. And they got almost every one of them had Purple Hearts, were wounded. I think there were about 13 Silver Stars that came out of that battle, and they killed over 250 Taliban, and they didn't lose one guy. So it's like, you know, I'm not talking about that. We do this well. That's my point. But we get home, and they have some class that nobody takes seriously. 
It's like, oh, here we go. I'm going to have to sit through this stuff. I mean, my buddy, I actually partnered with a buddy of mine named Chad Robichaux. And if, how many of you are into, like, mixed martial arts, UFC, that kind of stuff? Well, I am. And Chad's five foot three. He fights at 135 pounds, and he's 19 and 2. And uh, he's a, he used to be a force recon marine, special operations. And he did eight tours to Afghanistan. He was never physically wounded, blown up, shot, nothing like that. But after that, that eighth or ninth time, whichever it was, he came home well and so tight and snapped. And he almost lost everything. His, him and his wife, they they were about to finally sign the divorce papers. They had sold their house. I mean, they were serious. This was over. But because of their faith and their willingness to work it out, they brought it back together. They're going on 19 years of marriage. Living proof. Living proof. And... I had no idea. By the way, Randy Couture wrote the foreword, if you're interested, if you know who Randy Couture is. Uh, he's Army veteran as well. And, um, you know, action star. action star, UFC fighter. He's like, you know, the guy. But um, really, one of the great things is that we had no idea what this book would do. We had no idea we'd get the response it did. In fact, uh, my buddy John had told you about, he actually commented on one of the Facebook pictures of the book. And he said, uh, he, he told me, he said he read the book four times. He's even done college papers on it. And I'm like, you must have read Chad's section if you wrote a college paper and aced it. I'm like, y'all know you didn't read mine. But he said, especially the chapter on suicide, it's a connection point. It's it's not just some PTSD book that no one wants to be seen with. And we talk about barracks fights. There's pictures in here. You know, we did that so the Marines can enjoy it too. And uh, I had to do it. I did it last month in Palm Springs, and we had about 30 Marines from uh, 29 Palms. And, uh, boy, I, I lit the house up that night, and they loved it. No, but, you know, these the, the premise of this book, we had a lot of soldiers, Marines, whoever, service members, asking us separately, because we didn't know each other at first, separately, how would you deal with this? How would you deal with that? You know, maybe something like you're obviously doing all right. How did you deal with it? Well, we found that there were a lot of similar issues and so I had, I had written the book, basically, but it, it didn't feel complete. And so what I did was, you know, I asked Chad, I said, would you, would you write, like, in response to my stuff, and then anything you feel we're missing, let's add it. So he and I partnered in the effort, and, you know, we each take a shot in each chapter. And I'll tell you, even if you're not in the military, we've had incredible feedback from the civilian population because, again, we wrote it for the military, but the issues are not military issues. They're human people issues. And... Again, it's it's not it's it's not it's a it's a fun book. It's 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 we have some very interesting stories in there. You don't want to miss that. And uh, well, basically, what what you were talking about with the with the campaign, all of you should have one of these. Do you all did you all get one of these? Yes. Okay. Okay. You distribute them. If not, there'll be some more on the back table. Well, basically, with the response we've had, I don't want to charge. In fact, I, I take that back. I will not charge the military for this book because they're guys, they're men and women just like us just like me, guys just like me, and I don't want a dollar sign to be in between them and a resource that I'm seeing is helping them. I'm privileged to have had a hand in the, in the creation of it, but I am not going to charge them. I never have and I never will. And we first did that after the first uh, the shooting that took place at Fort Hood uh, the first time. We came down and we delivered hundreds of copies of this book. And the chaplain, he can't ask for stuff, but he just kind of wink, wink, nudge, nudge. He said, hey, if you're ever in the area, feel free to bring some of those back and do this again. They brought me back to speak, and I was able to, you know, do some good stuff. But, you know, we, we delivered like 500 out to Fort Carson of that book, too. And I remember one guy, he said, how much is this? You know, how, I want one. How, how can I get one? I said, take them. They're free. Because it's, it's not about money. I mean, you can't put a dollar sign on somebody who's about to go pull the trigger on themselves. And I realized that, well, no, one number one, after Fort Hood, we ran out of books. And this was earlier on in my career. And number two, we ran out of money. So he's asking, hey, feel free to do this again. And I'm looking at it going, man, we're doing a great disservice because they're asking for more and we're not delivering because I didn't have a system in place. Well, what this here, this is the system. It's called the Welcome Home Campaign. This is completely voluntary. I'm not sitting here trying to be all snazzy and sell you something. That's not what I'm trying to do. But what this is... If basically this allows us to deliver these books free of charge to the military bases when I speak at them or even when I don't speak at them. 
and we get them out there to them. So basically how it works is this. There's two lines at the bottom. You can write however many books you want to, uh, to help contribute and then total it up at the bottom. And if you will help us with this by contributing one or more books, we want to give you a free copy of it on your way out. I'll be out there. I mean, I'll sign it for you if you want. You know, not that I feel my signature is worth anything, but it's my way to honor you. And it's to, to do something for you there. And we got a call this week. Yep. We got a call this week from Fort Drum, New York, which is my old division, my unit, the 10th Mountain Division. And they called us on Tuesday. I think it got booked Wednesday for next month, June 17th. And that's actually a month from yesterday. So in one month, I'll be up at Fort Drum, New York, speaking to the 3rd Brigade of the 10th Mountain Division. And we've committed to bring 300 books, 300 copies of this, answers, solutions, in a way that's relatable, that people are actually interested in hearing about it in the military, and we're not going to charge them. Now, I'm not going to sit up here, and I'm not going to be one of those, like one of those TV preachers that cries and begs and tells you I need your money. I don't want your money. I'm just trying to get this for the troops. And, you know, we, we can't do this without you, but God's going to provide either way. But we want to give you an opportunity to be a part of this. You know, the Bible talks about reaping and sowing. You know, what you, you know, what you give out, it will be given back to you, and even more so. And, you know, this, this campaign has been great since day one. You know, I was in Afghanistan last year, uh, the week it came out. So I actually had a copy with me, but just the, the general copy. But, um, you know, please be a part of that. I've, I've done everything I can to, um, to really facilitate that. I mean, the soldier gets a book, you get a book. Maybe you don't want a book. Well, give it to somebody. I mean, Fort Hood's down the street. Somebody, somebody can use it. I mean, somebody, you likely know somebody in the military who might be able to get something out of that. And they can't give you the excuse that you don't know what it's like and you haven't been there and all the other, all the other stuff. And we talk about that too, but it is an excuse. And, uh, you know, they can't tell that to me and Chad. And uh, what we deliver is something they need to hear. And it's what God's put on us. God was all over this. He's all over all of it. That's the reason I'm here. And as we're coming down to the end of this, I do want to share something with you. The question of why was a big question that I had after coming back from Afghanistan. I asked the question, why did this happen? You know, I, I could have, you know, believed that God did this to me, that God injured me like that. I don't believe that. Um, you know, I, I did ask the question, why? But shortly after asking, I actually started thinking to myself, even if, an, even if I knew why, is this going to change anything? Are the hands of time going to turn backwards if you knew why something happened to you, yes or no? Is it going to change anything about it? No. So it's not about what happened. It's about where you're going with it. And I remember thinking, I was reading the Bible one day, and in John chapter 9, there's a story. There's a story about a man who was born blind. Jesus comes into town, him and his disciples, and they come across this man who was born blind. And the disciples, as faithful disciples they were, they say, Jesus, who's at fault for this man being born blind? Was it his sin or was it his parents' sin? When we don't understand things, we want to point the finger and place blame. Ask me how I know. All right. But Jesus comes out of left field on them, completely off the wall, something they didn't expect. And here's what he said. He said, these things have happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And if you can cycle through a couple of those last pictures with the military, they're toward the end of the slide. This is the work, what I see as the works of God being displayed in my own life because he's allowed me to. He's kept me around and he's given me at least enough sense to say, do something for other people with this. God took what was my greatest and most painful tragedy and he turned it into an asset for good that wasn't brian that was what god did in and through brian's situation god does not favor one person over another and i don't know what you've been through in your life and when i say i don't care it's not i don't care but what i mean by that is it doesn't matter it's not bigger than what god can do through it Surely, if I woke up in a ditch on the side of the road after being blown up twice, 14 months at Brook Army Medical Center, my skin scraped off with razor blades while I'm still awake and conscious, and all of that pain, if God can work through that, do you think maybe in your life God might be able to do something through your situation? I think the answer is yes. 
in, if I can end on this one verse, I want to tell you this, and this is going to lead right to where you're going. Oh, and by the way, my website's called blownupguy.com, in case you ever want to visit me there. I got blown up, so I bought a website called blownupguy.com. Um, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 48, it's the story of David and Goliath. And you all know that story. Everyone's heard it. But there's a particular verse that stands out that I'd never really caught before. But here's what it says. It says, as Goliath moved closer to attack him, it says David quickly ran out to the battle line to meet him. As Goliath, as as his enemy maneuvered to attack, he quickly ran out to the battle line to meet him. He didn't walk. He didn't see if his buddies were with him first. It says he quickly ran. That's what it literally says. He quickly ran. And I think about in our lives, we all have an enemy. We all have a common enemy. Most people don't even realize that every single day they're at war. You don't have to be in Afghanistan or Iraq. Every single day you and I are at war. And what's sad is not only that people don't realize they're at war, they don't realize every day they're getting ambushed and they're getting destroyed. Because everything you do against the enemy, he's constantly conspiring to try and counteract because that's what you do. That's how you win war. You find out what your enemy's doing, and you capitalize on his weakness, and you take advantage of him. And most people don't even realize that they're in this fight. And you will fight one way or another. You're either going to win, or you're going to get slaughtered. There's only one. There's only two outcomes here. You're going to you're going to fight either way. And it says that David quickly ran out to the battle line to meet him. This altar here today. This is the battle line. It's the battle line. This is where your enemy dies because of what God is going to do in your life and what he can do if you will let him. David was scared. I guarantee he was scared. And I think there's something behind this because I think if David would have sat back and thought about it too much, he probably wouldn't have done it. That's probably, that's my suspicion, my opinion of one reason he may have ran out to the battle line because if he'd have sat back and thought about it, he may not have done it. And he would not have killed Goliath. He would not have defeated the enemy. I mean, he became king of Israel. I mean, life opened up for him once he took that step. And he didn't walk there blindly. He didn't have his eyes closed. He ran out there to meet his enemy and to kill his enemy and to destroy him instead of being destroyed by him. And in our lives, God gives us the opportunity. And this battle line right here today at this altar is your opportunity to take out your enemy and live the life that God has had and designed for you and the purpose for you to live in. I'm not just saying that because it sounds good. I wasn't taught that growing up. I learned that because I've been through hell on earth, but God carried me through it. And I can only tell you about my life. I can't tell you about anyone else's life, but I can tell you what he's done in mine. We don't have all the answers, but that's why it's called faith. God wants us to have faith. He doesn't always tell us the answers. When I was laying in the hospital bed, I was asking for answers, and you know what? I didn't get any answers, not for a while, but I trusted him through it. And because I did, he's done things in my life and through my life that I could never have ever thought or imagined. And he's going to do the same in your life if you will allow him to do that. We appreciate you, and thank you. Let's do this. Let's all stand to our feet. I would like Brian to uh, pray a prayer. You know... Uh, maybe you're here today and there's there's two portions of the crowd. Those who have are in the military or have served in the military and those who haven't. That's, that's two people here. But, but what I want us to understand is what he said today applies to everybody. Amen? I mean, it's touched my heart. It's opened my eyes. I'm going to ask Brian to say a prayer today. You're looking on the stage and you're hearing him talk and you're inside. You're saying, God, I, I need that. I want that for my mind and my heart or my marriage or whatever it is. And during this time, I, if you just would raise your hand and say, Pastor Matt, I want you to remember. I want you guys to remember I'll, me in prayer. Keep it up. Yeah. I'm going to ask Brian to say a prayer. Absolutely. And um, for those that have their hand raised and... Man, just pray from your heart and for these people. Absolutely. God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be here and to be able to hear your word and realize that sometimes you don't always send us the miracle we want to, but when you don't, oftentimes you you allow us to become the miracle for somebody else. And we know that you work all things together for the good, for those who are called according to your purpose and those who love you. And God, right now, that means that we have to give our situation to you 
in order to give you permission to work in and through those situations. That's what that means. And we know that you have great plans for us, and your plans are not to harm us. Your plans are to give us hope in a future. And God, we don't need to reject you and get mad and not believe in you and, and to hate you because of something we've been through. We know that God is good. We know that you are good, God. And if there's a good God, we also know that there's a bad enemy. And we know that these bad things don't come from you, but that you are going to work these things through them. So, God, for those who, who prayed that prayer, who raised their hands, then just say with me right now, just everybody say it with me. If you said it before, just say, thank you, God, for the life you've given me. I believe in what you've done in dying for me and allowing me to have new life, to not be held back by my past. I believe in what you've done and what you say. And by faith, I am moving forward today with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank praise God. Give God a praise today. Hallelujah. Amen. Listen, I'm going to invite all of our prayer partners if they would quickly join me at the front. Uh, if you're a guest with us for the first time today, we, we take an opportunity every Sunday morning to wrap up our time in prayer.